What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast, Sunday Night Football Instant Reaction. Right now I got Dells with me, Riv and John. We don't know where Drew is at. Just answer the phone. Daniel Jones Jones had his worst career game. I think it was 11 pass rate. It might have been 12. It was so bad. And Drew just fell off the face of the earth. No, literally I don't know what happened. I was at I was at his house for the four o'clock game, so I was there watching the Tua masterclass, the four hundred fifty yards, and he was going crazy. So I was waiting for him to come up here and talk shit. Daniel Jones goes out there and has the stinker of all stinkers. Now he's not answering his phone. What's he drinking? He I was telling Joel very casually. He was having like a high noon. You know yeah. what I mean? Might have got worse. Yeah, but that was really it. I tweeted it out. The Lord gave Drew that to a week one, but boy, did he shed the light on Daniel Jones tonight. And I think that's what we're going to start off with. The Giants versus the Cowboys. The Cowboys went into MetLife Stadium and beat them 42-0. The Giants did not score in this game. Ray, what you got to say about this, man? Because you you and Dells picked the Giants. I know that you only did it out of spite. I don't know why Dells did. I don't know if he had that much faith in the Giants. I thought they split one at home, one, you know what I mean? No, funny enough, I picked it like in the video, I picked the Cowboys first, and then I was like, nah, fuck that. I'm gonna pick the Giants so I could put some voodoo on them. Um, it was bad, man. It was really fucking bad. You started off, I think the the Cowboys got a they got a uh they blocked the kick, scored on that one. The defense was just so suffocating, it was howling Daniel Jones. Nobody was open. He had no time in the pocket. Even at times, though, you could see with Daniel Jones, he was, like, holding the ball for too long, and he was running out of bounds, taking sacks, but he could just do it out of bounds. You know, there was some bad decisions being made, but that defense is legit. That's what it like. If we talk about overreactions, that Cowboys defense is legit. Stephon Gilmore, Siobhan Diggs, that defensive line with uh, Michael Parsons leading the way, Demarcus Lawrence and them boys. Like, this defense – is very stout. They get in your face. They cause a lot of havoc on opposing offensive lines. And with this Giants team, you know, we thought offensively they one's going to have a lot of going to be Saquon, and we thought Waller was going to help. But literally nobody could get wide open. You know, it was really, really bad. And 40-0 to zero is not something you've seen. Like, we've seen bad performances today, but to not score is kind of crazy. So, you know, we you know we here. We're giving you all the feedback. I'm sitting here in my drawers, and I was just watching the game like, yo, this is this is pretty bad for Daniel Jones. That's a forty million dollar quarterback right there. Forty million dollar quarterback lost forty to zero is kind of ironic. Um, every every fan base, Giants fans, you can remember this one. Like, there's some games you just get your ass kicked so bad that you remember for years. I remember the forty five to three loss the Jets had on primetime against the uh, the Patriots. Thankfully, came back uh, later on in the season, being in the playoffs. But that's the regular season game that sticks out to me. 
Um, according to Next Gen Stats, the Cowboys generate pressure on 23 of 37 dropbacks, which is 62%, which is the fourth highest of any game since 2019. So although the Giants lost 40 to nothing, it's unlikely they face this type of pressure at least next week when they play the Cardinals, right? When they play the Cowboys down the road and the Eagles and some teams with really good pass rushers. Um, you know, I tweeted it out. We were talking about offensive lines basically the entire offseason, and we were talking about the wrong New York team. You have um, you have Andrew Thomas on the left side who got banged up. Hopefully he's okay. But other than that, there's really no one on this Giants offensive line you could look at and feel confident in. There's their center, rookie JMS, struggled. Right guard, uh, Glowinski, right tackle, Evan Near struck. Like this entire offensive line, especially once Andrew Thomas is out, it's not a good unit. And Daniel Jones today, although he didn't get help from his receivers, he didn't have any time to throw the ball. Like we could blame Daniel Jones. He's at fault, had a couple interceptions, although at least one wasn't his fault, kind of got popped out. But when you have absolutely no time to throw the ball, there's only so much you can do. This was just a Cowboys team that looked looked like they wanted to come out week one and make a statement. And the Giants thought, okay, last year we made the playoffs. If we come out and play good football, we should be competitive. And the Cowboys were the team that were more prepared, and they beat their ass. John, what do you got to say? I thought this was the year of Brian Dable. The Giants make a competitive case for at least competing with the Eagles and Cowboys because they've got one of the best young up-and-coming coaches in the NFL. And then a game like this, as you point out, Dells, to be paying Daniel Jones as much money as he is, the Cowboys today were on cruise control the entire time. Dak Prescott finishes with what, a buck 20 passing yards. They just cruise through the entire way. It's kind of a reality check with this Dallas Cowboys team that they're so far and away better at every single position group than the New York Giants. I kind of start to wonder if maybe they're too good too soon last year to where they didn't get enough draft picks. They got Kayvon Thibodeau, but it kind of feels like this year they're still a clear tier below this Cowboys team. And there wasn't much more to add. Listen, you hit it right on the money. Now, Daniel Jones, looking at the stats, 15 for 28, 104 yards, two interceptions. He took seven sacks, had a passer rating of 32. First things first, I don't think this week one game is an indictment on Daniel Jones, at least for me, because I've already had an opinion, a strong opinion on what I think Daniel Jones is as a quarterback. This game, he didn't have a chance. We know the receivers are lackluster. We know the offensive line can't protect him. The Cowboys defensive line dominated. And this is a Cowboys team that I view as a Super Bowl contender. I think they will win the NFC. I think they will win the NFC East. And people will make it make it a lot about the Giants. But I thought that they were a team prime for regression. When you look at all the teams that make the playoffs in the NFL yearly and you go and pick them and you're like, okay, which team is likely not to make the playoffs the year after? The Giants are the ones that come to my head the fastest because you have a quarterback who's below average. You have an offensive line that's bad. You have receivers that are bad. They added Darren Waller, but he's injury prone. The run, the rushing attack, Saquon is amazing, but if that offensive line can't generate push, it's going to be inconsistent. And the defense last year wasn't good either. So for me, I looked at the Giants as a not very good team. They were a mediocre team. And when we did our power rankings, I had them below the 15 mark because that's how I view them. So this type of game, to me, was more an indictment on the Cowboys. I thought the Dallas Cowboys came out came out here and made a statement. The Cowboys came out here and said, we got better. We got Stephon Gilmore. We got Brandon Cooks. Mike McCarthy's now calling plays. Our defense is still going to be great. 
the most important thing in the NFL from a year-to-year basis is continuity. I look at the Cowboys. They kept um, they kept Dan Quinn, who has consistently had a top-three-ranked defense. While they lost Kellen Moore, I think Mike McCarthy can design an offense, and he's led top offenses before. I look at, te- I look at a team like the Eagles. They lost multiple defensive starters. They lost both coordinators, Shane Steichen and um, Jonathan Gannon, who today, Shane Steichen for – AR's debut was pretty solid, and Jonathan Gannon for the Cardinals, the defense, it looked solid against Commander's offense. So for me, I look at the Cowboys. They got better. They kept their continuity, and I think this was a statement. I think the Cowboys are the best team in the NFC, and they're going to win the NFC East. I think they're that good. And this, was, this, was, this, wasn't, even, this wasn't even a good Dak game. Dak had... 43 yards, and you're beating the Giants by 40 yeah, points? Yeah, because they got like they got half of their points from their defense or from interceptions and sacks and fumbles. So, listen, Dallas was super impressive. I don't want to take anything away from them, but I also am not going to take this one game where it basically the end of the first quarter is 16-0. At halftime, it's 26-0. The, the entire game plan the Giants had coming in was basically thrown out the window because – the first drive they had, a field goal gets blocked and returned for a touchdown. Then they go three and out. Then there's another pick six uh, that's returned for a touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 14 nothing. Like, what the hell just happened? You know, so you know. the, the Cowboys were your team. You should feel confident about them going forward. But I'm not going to switch my opinion just because yeah. this one game where their defense is great, it's not going to be this great week in and week out. And now, Rev, before you go, just make sure your mic is switched to the mic that you currently have in front of you because I'm not sure if it is 100%. Dells, it's not just great. The Dallas Cowboys is elite. It's a top three. It, it's a top. It's, it can't. The defensive line got an argument. The secondary. Oh, we're back. I'm, we're back. It's neck and neck, Dells. I mean, this, cow, this Cowboys defense is elite. All the Cowboys needed was a boost in offense, and they got that in Brandon Cooks. We'll see if they can they can sustain it. But ultimately, yeah, I think the Cowboys. Brandon Cooks had twenty two yards. They're, they're the best team in the <laughs> NFC, baby. They're the best Hold team on, in the wait, NFC, wait. baby. I, I have something to say. Y'all can hear me, right? I'm good now. Yeah. Kumbaya. You know what's funny that you said that they made a statement. This all that in the third. It was cool. Those, you're a good guy. You're a good human. Thank you. And you Appreciate know, that. you you said that you're not gonna, you know, take away credit from Dallas. Well, I am. Um, okay. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Joel, you're funny, man, because you had the Cowboys and then you had the Giants ranked as a mid-ass team. And then the Cowboys beat the shit out of a mid-ass team. Respectable. <laughs> yeah. And now he's moved. Yeah. Now, he's now moved. you're moved. Yeah. It's funny because. <laughs> he was always moved, though. Yeah, it's funny because there's another team in the NFC that also beat the shit out of a team that you viewed as a top 14 team in the NFL. Another team that pretty much from start to finish was as dominant as it can be. Another guy who you considerably hate on a lot. You were making these little weird tweets. We wasn't really moved by the tweets because he had a great The game. interception counter? Oh, I'm Whatever. counting. That's fine. You can make all that the all you want. Counter. Defensively, from start to finish, they were amazing. That team, to me, and I'm sorry, John, because you have all these jerseys in the background, but today was embarrassing. That team, to me, the San Francisco 49ers, looked like the legit best team in the NFC because they beat a better team, a much better team. Purdy looked amazing. Brandon Ayuk looked like a true number one. CMC looked as best as he could. Like he, just, he looked like he has a Mr. B. He looks like the best running back in the league. Defensively, they look like they're back to where they should be. And that's a team that legit looks like the best team in the league to me. You want, you want to talk about Steelers now? We're going to move on? Yeah, let's yeah. talk about Steelers, John. Let's talk about these Steelers. Uh, I've never seen a bigger discrepancy in my entire life, fellas. 
It has been six years since the Pittsburgh Steelers have been a well-coached team on the offensive end of the floor, on the ball. When I grew up as a Steeler fan, our OCs were Ken Wisenhunt, Bruce Arians, Todd Haley. But ever since Big Ben wanted Todd Haley gone in 2017, we've run through the worst offensive coordinators in the NFL. And we come into this game versus San Francisco, and I was one of the fools out there who thought the Pittsburgh Steelers would upset them, okay? 49er fans, I am an idiot. You want to know why I'm an idiot? I put my investment into Matt Canada. The second play of the game is run his beloved jet sweep. And the 49ers are swallowing it up like it's no problem. It took the Steelers 28 minutes to get a first down. And you look at this 49ers offense. Not only was Brock Purdy doing whatever he wanted with all the time in the world, but holy shit, the Steelers defense in the secondary, you've got Levi Wallace guarding Brandon Ayuk. Patrick Pearson's game, Moss, like he's Randy Moss, uh, he's guarding him. And then, of course, Christian McCaffrey is not just the best running back in the league. This wire, this 49ers offense is far and away the most complete team in football. And last year, it was kind of a reminder, they won 12 straight games, and the only reason why they did not go to the Super Bowl, or at least have a fair chance to, was because they ran out of quarterbacks. They ran even through their fourths, right? And this game was that gentle nudge that, hey, look, Kyle Shanahan is so quite clearly the best play caller in football. He's a much better run designer than Andy Reid. And then you look at the Brandon Ayuk breakout that's coming right now before us. I think Brock Purdy's the Derek Fisher, the guy that people like Joel always <laughs> like to overlook. I don't think he's quite Derek good enough. Fisher. But he I love Derek Fisher. Derek Fisher. Okay. Around him. And he's got balls of steel, man. He'll hand Derek the pocket, Fisher. he'll deliver tight throws, and he's got the improvisational tools. There's one play, Minka's a free edge rush, rusher. And usually Minka can trace any quarterback, no problem. Brock Purdy spins out, delivers a tight window throw, and it's kind of a sign to me yet again this year. They've got stability from week one to 17, 18 at quarterback. I mean, this 49ers team could be the best in the NFL and right there at the Cowboys in the regular season. Listen, I don't ever want you disrespecting me when it comes to Derek Fisher ever again. I'm a big fan of Derek Fisher. I modeled my jump shot out of Derek Fisher when I was younger. I'm a big fan of Derek Fisher. He's a heart and soul point guard to a team. Now, listen, Brandon Ayuk, I've been on the Ayuk train. I think Ayuk is an elite wide receiver. The 49ers routed the Steelers. The bigger storyline, I thought, outside of the 49ers just being dominant. I mean, they dominated. The defensive line dominated. Fred Warner was dominant. Talano Hufunga delivered a, a gruesome hit to Pat Frermuth, which was, my goodness, he got all the impact on that. Mm-hmm. Matt Canada is an inept offensive coordinator. Matt Canada, I mean, these offensive designs, it just felt like the Steelers were unorganized the entire game. And it wasn't until later on in kind of garbage time where the Steelers were able to generate any consistent offense. Now, my issue with the Steelers is that, of course, Matt Canada, he's not a good play caller. But I also think that they are a step behind other teams that have better wide receivers because George Pickens can catch anything in his vicinity, but George Pickens isn't the best separator. So when it comes to throwing passes to him, it comes down to a lot of trust. And Kenny Pickett, he's somebody that thrives in out-of-structure play. He's not somebody that in structure can deliver quick passes that are accurate. He had a lot of inaccurate passes in this game. And with a team like the 49ers that are going to box you in and not let you do any of that out-of-structure stuff, Kenny Pickett looked like a deer in headlights out there. He just didn't look very good. Now, the 49ers are an elite defense. There's no, t- there's no taking that away from them. But when it comes to Brock Purdy, I thought Brock Purdy had a really good game. I mean, this is a Brock Purdy game. This is a 49ers 
quarterback when you're playing with them with that many weapons type of game that you're going to have. Ooh. Brock Purdy played phenomenal. Seven Brandon Ayuk was, was a stud. And Christian McCaffrey broke off that, what, 50, 60-plus yard run? I mean, listen, the 49ers are a top team in the NFC. I think the top three teams are the Cowboys, Eagles, 49ers. I don't care the order that you have them. That's the top three. But if you want to have the 49ers up there, it's fine. But listen, I'm riding with the Dallas Cowboys. It's, it's like it's like uh, me and Dells have been trying to bang this into your brain for really so long. You know, CMC is going to be there. Ayuk's going to break out. Debo's going to be there. You know, Kyle Shanahan's going to be there. Brock Purdy is prime for a breakout year. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that you're going to be hating from week to week to week because Brock Purdy is going to have a great week for the most part. There isn't going to be a defense that's fully going to be able to stop this 49ers offense. Brock Purdy's going to have 30 touchdowns. The Niners are going to finish number one in the NFC. Like, this is a team that's legit prime to make another NFC championship run. And like John mentioned, Brock literally damn near fucked up his whole arm. He could not throw. They were, like, on their fourth quarterback. Not They didn't have a chance to fully play at their uh, potential against the Philadelphia Eagles. Brock Purdy's probably for a breakout year, man. He, You know, you was mentioning how Kirk Cousins, you know, Shanahan likes him, and they didn't filled up this cap for him. They don't need all that, man. They got Brock Purdy. They don't need Kirk Cousins. You said that to me. None of that. Yeah, I'm, they don't need none of that, bro. They got Brock Purdy. They have their quarterback. He's on a rookie deal. He's the last pick in the draft. They don't have to spend no money on him. They traded Train Lance. They're good. Sam Darnold's not coming in no time soon, so you can dead that yeah. in the water. Bro, this is Brock Purdy's team. He's the guy for them. They're going to be winning the division. Did, didn't no Joel problem. say Purdy was going to have multiple interceptions? He, said, he, he, said the pick of, he, he almost had one. He almost had one. He, he should have been caught. Not, only, not, not only did he say two, Pat Pete was talking shit and also said he was going to pick them all. So it's just like, yeah, you know, cool. we're only going to stop and start respecting it, this is, It's what Brock Purdy does. It's what hey, Brock listen, Purdy does. 200 yards, two touchdowns. He's accurate. He's efficient. I mean, there was one point in the game he was like 11 for 14 in the first half. He was damn near perfect. And listen, Dells, we're not going to let Riv get away with that. Like, in the morning, he wasn't the one that hit up the group chat saying – they might be clearing up cap space for Kirk Cousins. He did say that. He you was the that. one that said that, not but me. I seen, I seen it on Twitter because they was talking. And then you was like, oh, he loves Kirk. And I'm like, why well, have Kirk? You saw what Kirk did? He lost to the Bucks. They don't need him, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's, that shit was <laughs> embarrassing. But, you know, if you're looking at this game and you're just looking at the box where you didn't get to watch it, you never know. It's a You know it's not a good sign when Allen Robinson leads your team in receiving. George Pickens is on Instagram liking comments saying that who's going to get him the ball. They don't got anyone to get Pickens the ball. Deontay Johnson, unfortunately, has a hamstring injury. Seems semi-serious. Seems likely he misses at least a game, maybe two. Um, Pat Fryermuth possibly injured his ribs. Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, they had 10 rushing attempts. The Steelers, they went down early 10-0, but I don't think it's in the best interest of this team when Kenny Pickett is throwing the ball 46 times only completing or completing 31, good completion percentage. But for the most part, Matt Canada's concepts and the issues we had in previous years are still present today. Like we saw in the preseason, Kenny Pickett taking deep shots to Pickens and Deontay Johnson. And me included, I thought maybe we had turned a page and maybe Matt Canada is opening this offense up. He's gained some trust in Kenny Pickett and these young weapons. But this first game on the field, he hasn't shown that. And going up against the 49ers defense, maybe you're a little bit more conservative than going up against average defenses, but you need to show me something. I mean, especially when you're just getting raced, it's it's what 26-0, excuse me, it's 20 to 7 at halftime, 27 to 7 at the end of the third quarter, where 
you re- there was no offense until that last drive of this of the first half. They had one total yard of offense. Like they were not able to do anything. And the 49ers, for the most part, is just what the 49ers are. The defense was suffocating. They were able to get after Kenny Pickett. TJ Watt was too on the other side for sure. He had a couple nice plays. Um, and offensively, they were efficient. Brock Purdy was hitting open wide receivers like he's going to continue doing this entire season. Um, the receivers, Rack, Brandon Ayuk, Debo, Kittle had a couple receptions coming off an injury. You saw CMC have a big game. So from the Niners side of things, it was business as usual. From the Steelers side, it was a bit disappointing because we thought offensively this offense couldn't open it up. But Matt Canada is unfortunately still Matt Canada. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think did Brock Purdy fumble once? He or, did. It was a strip sack that because he, he fumbled. Out. He had another fumble, he but he fumbled. Was, he, he it was it. called back. Yeah, and exactly. then Mike Tomlin tried to call a challenge when Purdy quite clearly recovered it. Look at I you. feel like it's malpractice. No, so we're like talking. We're talking game. about. We're talking about a dropped interception on my interception counter, and then two fumbles. One that was recovered forget, by him, forget, and another forget. one that was covered by the defense. Don't, we're talking about forget. three turnovers. Three don't turnover worthy plays. Look, don't forget the most important stat of them all: the W. They got the win. Doesn't matter. And Joel, well, he has a clear advantage from a coaching perspective. He just looks more comfortable than Kenny Pickett right now. And there feels like with Kenny Pickett's lack of pocket presence, there are two separate third downs in the first quarter. One, the first one where he's sliding right into pressure. The second where he stays in the pocket, but he's got a wide open runway of grass. He moves to his left, scrambling like 15 yards, easy first down. Right now, Brock Purdy is better than Kenny Pickett. And you can say when you're looking at that draft class, he is the best quarterback. It's not a high bar, but it's Mm -hmm. something to note here. So I just are you to... out on Kenny Pickett? I'm not out, but at some point you have to say. <laughs> oh, we, oh, we could go. He was the free yeah. guy. You got to let me. What the Steelers are doing to Kenny Pickett feels like malpractice, though. Inherently, last year, you beat teams like the Colts and the Falcons, and Pickett played well, but if you have the 32nd or the 31st last year ranked offensive coordinator in the NFL year in and year out with this young quarterback who it's the same exact predictable reads. Stells, you talked about it. Whenever Jalen Warren goes into the game, opposing defenses know it's going to be a jet sweep. When Najee Harris is in first and second down, it's inside zone. Then the route concepts, it seems slants and curl routes. Defenders know what's coming. And so at some point, you have to ask yourself, if you put in an actual qualified NFL offensive coordinator, could Kenny Pickett take that level of play from the end of his rookie year and level that up? And I think he could. But for me, I was slightly ignorant in thinking the supporting cast guys like GP and the healthy Deontay would be good enough to pull a 2015 LeBron. And while it's a good supporting cast, it's just not that level. And LeBron is insane. I think it's a good supporting cast. And it's, it's hyperbole. Deontay and George Pickens respectively. Excuse me. With all the respect in the world. They're going to pull off Deontay and Ellis and Brandon Jennings. As well at, uh, as a third wide receiver. But here's the last thing with Pittsburgh. Actually, no, let's just move on because next week they've got the Cleveland Browns. And oh, they look like the oh, they look Cleveland. Like, no, they I look can't like believe, the 1985 Bears today, man. I can't believe John used the at some point after week one. At some point, you just got to ask yourself if he's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's week one. I thought about the OC, not the quarterback. You know, Joel. I remember when you told me that uh, Purdy was a bottom 10 quarterback, no, bottom five quarterback in the NFL. And it was cute when you said it. He um, might be still. I, yeah, I giggled about it for a little bit. Brock Purdy's going to end up top 18 in the league by the end of this year. Top top 18 for sure quarterback in the league. You know, he's going to have the numbers. You're not going to be able to ignore the numbers. The numbers will be there. 
for sure. But when you go watch the tape, because I know you're a guy who hates numbers when it doesn't fit your agenda, you like to watch the tape. So when you go back and watch the tape, I want you to really understand that Brock Purdy is going to end up a top 18 guy in this uh, league by the end of the year. I mean, that's fine. If, if you're talking about solely numbers, I mean, Brock Purdy had better numbers than Herbert. Brock Purdy had better numbers than Kirk Cousins. Brock Purdy had better numbers than Mac Jones. Brock Purdy had better numbers than Daniel oh, well, Jones Kirk, Kirk than Cousins. Ryan Tannehill. I mean, there's a lot of that, there's a lot of quarterbacks Brock Purdy had better numbers than. Oh no, Ro- Ro- Brock Purdy's gonna be better than Ryan Tannehill by the end of the year for sure. Like, and it's not a high bar. I mean, Ryan yeah, Tannehill. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill had a bad day. game. Hundred P. Yeah. But no, Mackie Jones. Jones Hopkins wants to leave probably. Mackie Jones. We we're not yeah, gonna talk about there, the bro. Eagles and Patriots on on this show because we about to talk about the Browns and Bengals. But oh, you were talking about the Eagles were gonna dominate the Patriots. They were gonna blow them out the water. And the Patriots defense. I was telling you. Listen, give Belichick time to cook something up. Th- that offense, no, for Jalen sure, Hurts, Jalen Hurts' pocket presence looked shaky the entire game. That's something that he has to improve in. It's just week one, but that was one of my things of concern going into the season. If he, if he wants to take that next step, that is the clear thing he has to improve in. And it felt like whenever pressure was coming towards him, he either kind of ducked out of it or ran into some more. Yeah, I felt like the play calling was a little shitty too. Like they was they was kind of running the same things over and over. It was no big play moments, no exciting moments. But yeah, the defense for the Patriots, like that that front seven was causing havoc on our offensive line, the best offensive line in the league. I feel like and that D- Dietrich White, Matthew Judon, they were just causing complete havoc. Keon White, yeah, they was doing their thing. So credit, and I, I texted you, I was like, you know, credit to New England. They, they defense was for sure stout. You know, we ended up pulling out the win by blessing God. We got that W. Um, of course, you, you mentioned Never it. Let's let's, let's let's lock it on Cleveland and uh the Bengals. You know, talk, you, talk to me about Deshaun, Rev. Talk oh, to me, man. Woo. You know, I texted the group chat screaming because uh <laughs> today was a, today was a great day, man. For starters, my good buddy Joel, you know, he thought Cle- the the Bengals would come into this year blitzing the Browns. He thought they Burrow had three TDs. You know, he have a great game. We all of us on the um when we had our episode. We kind of forgot the weather was going to be bad this week. You know, we just didn't know. So we kind of didn't talk about it too much in a lot of these games. So the weather was bad for sure with the Bengals and the Browns game on both sides. It didn't look like Joe Burrow. It looked like his leg was still messing with him a little bit because his pocket presence wasn't the best. You know, he's usually perfect at that, getting the ball out quick, just being poised. The secondary for the Browns and the, the front, the defense in general was just elite. Like, from front line, from the defensive line to the linebackers to the secondary, start to finish. They were elite. They made timely plays. They didn't get a lot of sacks, but they got a lot of pressure. It caused a lot of incompletion. It caused a lot of drops. Like, they were just doing everything. Miles Garrett has finally got some help. That secondary of Emerson Jr., Grant, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom. they caused complete havoc on Jamar Chase. T. Higgins wants to get paid. He had zero catches. Nuts. He has to figure that out. And then um, Deshaun Watson, man. He literally did nothing to get us this W. I'll, I'll just be completely <laughs> honest with you. Um, That's a fact. Yeah, he wasn't good. Like, the receivers got open every play, I felt like. I feel like Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, DPJ, like, they were able, Joku, they were able to get open on every single play, and it felt like either Watson wasn't strong enough to get it there, it kept hitting the front of their feet, or he would overthrow it. Like, his accuracy was just not good on a lot of the plays. He was good in the run game, like, when he had to get out the pocket make a run. He was perfect there. Mm-hmm. Chubb was going to do what Chubb does, but I feel like a lot of this game was heavily on the defense carrying this Browns team to a W. Deshaun Watson, we mentioned it over and over again. 
they he needs to be damn near perfect for this team to be where it needs to be at its potential. But I think overall, like you can take a lot of good things from this win. And I, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a double downer. I think the Browns are legit gonna make the playoffs. This defense is elite enough. It's great enough. This was a statement win. This wasn't the same as last year's Week One, where the Bengals were beating on themselves a lot. This was a Cleveland Brown team. Cleveland Brown defense that completely shut down whatever the Bengals wanted to do. And I gave credit to the Bengals defense. They were good too. But And Joe Mixon was also good in the run game for some time. But this defense on the Cleveland Browns, it's legit. You know, it has a lot of weapons. It has some guys like Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, Greg Newsom that can make plays, timely plays. You've got your typical shutdown corners and your pass rushers. And I think this defense can cause havoc. And I think Deshaun Watson – over the time, we'll be able to get to that 80, 90% level. I just think he has to find that confidence in himself because he looks like he's not confident in his ability right now. But if he can get to that, this this Cleveland Browns team, I mean, the Ravens are banged up right now. They just lost a couple guys in that Texas game. They seem like they're going to get hurt all the time. The Steelers just got beat by 30, and they just beat the Bengals. This division seems like, you know, overreaction, but this division seems like it can be as wide open, and Cleveland is right there for the taking. This was a weird game. I feel like we should just erase this from the history of the NFL <laughs> because it was weird, man. Nah, in all oh seriousness, Burrow played his worst game. It hey, is bro. week one Burrow. Last year, he threw three or four interceptions versus the Steelers. This game felt much more worse, and I know that a lot is going to be made out of Joe Burrow having this type of game. I mean, 82 yards. The Bengals' offense was limited to under three yards per attempt. They were two for 15 on third and fourth downs. I mean, this Browns defense really shut down this Bengals offense. And I think that's the major story in this game. So Darius Smith had four quarterback hits along with Miles Garrett. This defensive line, this defensive front is scary. It's going to be a top five unit in the league. And the run defense looks to be much improved. The only thing working for the Bengals offensively were those inside zone runs with Joe Mixon where he would rattle off maybe four to six yards per carry. But other than that, the Bengals could not generate anything offensively. Now, I think when it comes to Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson, we know Joe Burrow has more leeway when it comes to getting evaluated just because he's accomplished so much in the last two years. But overall, I think this game for both quarterbacks isn't kind of like an evaluation game because the conditions and the weather were so bad. It was raining. The ball was slippery. And something about Deshaun Watson that I've been thinking about for a while is that Whenever Deshaun Watson has a bad pass or has a bad play, people are so quick to just say he's not going to be good anymore. And I think a lot of that stems from not honest analysis. It stems from emotional feeling about how they feel about what Deshaun's actions were that got him suspended in the first place. I can separate the two. So where I understand what he did was bad, but I understand that this game and those misses he had does not does not describe him as a player and what he's going to be in the future. Because a lot of these balls that he was throwing, yes, they were inaccurate, but the conditions were horrible. It was hard to grip the ball and the interception that he did have. It was tipped by a defensive lineman from a certain angle. It looked like he just threw it straight to a defender, but it was tipped by a defensive lineman. This type of game is not the game that people should use to be saying Deshaun Watson is not going to be back. Riv says Deshaun Watson needs to be perfect for this Browns team to be a Super Bowl contender. 
I'm starting to think that he doesn't even need to be Deshaun Watson that we saw in Houston. I think Deshaun Watson just needs to be a little better than Baker Mayfield was when he was with the Browns. That's all he needs to be. And if he can be that, this Browns team can make a deep playoff run because their defense, now that they can stop the run, they leave their corners out on islands. And Martin Emerson is looking like he's going to take that next step. Denzel Ward is an elite shutdown corner. And then Greg Newsom is one of the better nickels in the game. This defense all around is going to be a top five, top 10 unit. The offensive line is great. And when you don't have the passing game going with Deshaun Watson, I mean, they have the best safety blanket in the NFL. They just hand it off to Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb was dominating the Bengals on the ground. So overall, this Browns team, they are a team that has a high floor. It, the question was just always about their ceiling. And I think that as the weeks go on, we can see them get closer to what they actually can be as Deshaun Watson gets more comfortable and he's playing in better weather conditions. I think we're going to see a couple of Deshaun blow up games in, in the next five weeks. There's no way in my mind, there's an, a unit that's improved more this all season than this Browns defense. And Joel, you said they could be top five. There's a case. They could be the best defense in the AC this year with miles Garrett's and Darius Smith, because the top two edge rush duo, but, the difference to me is that last year, Joe Woods, they're playing that soft, very conservative, quarters-heavy defense that we see with Vic Fangio. And unfortunately, they weren't getting the most out of their personnel. Now this year, Jim Swartz, all of that completely changes. And you see that fun that they're having gain after guys once they get the football. It's one of the most physical teams. And I think we could see that with their interior defensive line. They were bombed out last year in rushing yards allowed, yards, uh, yards a rush. You add in Dalvin Tomlinson and Shelby Harris, too, in the trenches – replacing probably the worst defensive line outside Miles Garrett last year in the league. Yeah. Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson, I simply think he needs to be a tall best quarterback in the NFL. If he is a good game manager, the Browns can be the 49ers of the AFC. My only concerns with them, the two blind spots, is that Jedrick Wills has struggled and he hasn't developed after his rookie year, and Jack Conklin's hurt. But, you know, in the draft, you get Dewan Jones to play that right tackle mm-hmm. position. I think Cleveland's bad level up, and as a Steeler fan playing them next week, I'm quite concerned. And Jack Conklin's out for the season. Yeah, that's that's what the fear is, the torn ACL, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so and that's why that draft I, pick in the fourth round is so huge, because it yeah, felt he, like an emergency plan. He, he fell, if I remember correctly, he fell. Like he was, I want to say he was supposed to be a day two pick, fell to day three. Um, the Browns took him up. He played well in the preseason. Remember seeing him yep. against the Jets. Um, this game to me is more about the Browns and the Bengals. Whether you want to chalk it up to week one Bengals, uh, the weather conditions, Joe Burr coming back from injury, not having training camp, whatever it might be. We saw last year with the Bengals, they were terrible in that week one game, even though they almost won. And they bounced back, went on to go to the AFC Championship. I'm really not worried about the Bengals in the slightest. I'm not worried about Joe Burrow or T. Higgins or any of that. They'll be fine. They'll be competing for for the division crown. Um, the Browns is interesting because this game was definitely had more pressure on the Browns than it did the Bengals. You're at home. Opening day, Deshaun's first game after having a full offseason and OTAs to be able to learn the playbook, his teammates practice together. Um, and although Deshaun maybe individually didn't show up, there was a lot of throws that, um, you know, where he was at the feet of the receiver, where he was, even though the, the interception was picked, the defender was right in front of the receiver, even though maybe there's a world where you could kind of float it uh, over him. Um this offense, I think, is still going to be run through Nick Chubb. Like, at the end of last year, it felt like um, – I'm blanking on the, the head coach's name. Help me. Kevin Stefanski. Kevin, thank you. Kevin Stefanski. It felt like Kevin Stefanski wanted this to be Deshaun Watson's team, and they wanted to throw the ball a lot. 
But I don't think that's exactly how you should run your offense if you have Nick Chubb. Like, you have the ability to give the ball to Nick Chubb 20, 25 times per game and run a pretty explosive play-action offense off of that. Elijah Moore led the team with, I think, 30 or 40 receiving yards. Amari Cooper was around the same 30, 40. He had an injury for a moment, too, but ended up coming back into the game. But I think this offense should still be run through Nick Chubb, even though you're paying Deshaun Watson all that money. Sometimes it is hard to suck it up and say, we want our star quarterback to be a star quarterback all the time. But I think if the Browns legitimately want to go on a run, you rely on Nick Chubb. If this defense can be as elite as game one against the Bengals, you're going to have a great defense. And from there, let Deshaun find his moments of excellence. Because if he's able to have a few moments throughout the game where he can put on wow throws, whether it's breaking tackles, um, you know, being able to move out of the pocket and find someone down the field, those are the type of throws that could take you over the top. You don't consistently need that when the rest of the team is so good. I think you mentioned it perfectly. And I think we saw some of that in this game very early in the game, in the first quarter, in the first half mostly. You could see the Browns were trying to run the offense with Deshaun. Empty looks, having Deshaun scan out the field and pick his mismatch and his matchup that he wants to go to. And then they noticed, oh, we're, we're not able to generate offense efficiently this way. Now you see, see, now you start seeing more shotgun runs with Nick Chubb, under center runs with Nick Chubb. The offense starts generating yards, and then you have those play action looks, and then Deshaun Watson gets these open crosses on the field. So I feel like you said it perfectly. Like they have to, un- they have to realize, and I know it's not going to happen anytime soon, but eventually they are going to, ha- they're going to have to realize if Deshaun Watson is ever going to be that great quarterback again, and if. They know the answer, and the answer is no. Then they have to run this offense through Nick Chubb, one hundred percent. Yeah, six yards a carry. Nick Nick Chubb is a beast. Nick Chubb is one of the. If he's not, I don't think he's one, but he's either two or three as the best, like the second or the third best running back in the league. You want to put Derrick Henry in front of him. The respect is there for Derrick Henry. Understand, but he's no lower than three on that list. He's a beast. The funny thing about that Deshaun Chubb situation is the looks were there for Deshaun, like. Him skin like the the guys were open like the weather and stuff. So I'm really interested to see over these next couple of weeks. You know he has the Steelers defense coming up this week. He has the Ravens defense in a couple of weeks. So there's there's going to be tests to where he's going to be tested, battled to see. And I, and I said it before on the show before, the Browns are going to know immediately who they are as a team in these four to five weeks. They're going to have some tests against their division rivals. The Steelers are no pushovers. The Ravens are no pushovers. And the Bengals were no pushovers. They're going to, the division is going to know if the Browns are serious or not early because this team up in their schedule, are going to have to face some tough teams. They're on the road against Pittsburgh. I think they're on the road against Baltimore too. I'm not like hundred percent sure, but tough games, Deshaun and Nick Chubb, that can be a dangerous duo. You have the receivers to make it work. The offensive line can be still great defensively that's a defense that gets in your face makes it physical makes you work for every play they remind me of the um since we're going back to basketball because john said like three basketball references like the detroit pistons and the indiana pacers like they beat you up for every possession every possession every possession to eventually you just get tired of that shit you like bro i can't run this route no more bro i can't run like i'm too banged up i'm too tired and that's what the browns do they beat you up physically their corners get into your face they grab you up they get away with a lot of stuff the defensive line they get in your face and they beat you up physically and that hurts and that can get into your mental so this brown team is legit man i keep trying to tell you i've been sleeping man sleeping for too long this brown team is gonna make the playoffs they're gonna make some noise they're gonna get in there they're gonna shock the world 
Then I'm telling you, it's not looking – Mahomes over there. We don't know Chris Jones coming back. Kelsey coming back too. But that team looked a little little shaky. Baltimore, that game With against injuries, the Texans didn't look a little nice either. The, 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 yo, listen, the AFC don't look too – you know, we got the Jets and the Bills tomorrow. So, we don't know what those Ooh, two teams look like. There we go, real game. Exciting. Yeah, but, you know, this Browns team is legit. This defense can hold up against any offense in the league, and I fully believe that. Now, the last three games we're going to talk about are the Bears-Packers, the Dolphins and Chargers, and then Dallas is going to talk about Anthony Richardson, and we can maybe talk about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and how the rookie quarterbacks did. But before that, a quick word from Mojo. So Mojo Fantasy is out now. You can play now in 19 states and D.C. You can use code PAS for a 100% deposit match up to $100. Now, how Mojo Fantasy works is that you enter contest. It's kind of like FanDuel Fantasy. If you ever played that, you enter contest, you pick player props, and if you get the most money, that's how you climb up the leaderboards. Basically, if, if your props succeed, you climb up the leaderboards and you win some cash in the prize pool. So you guys can join Mojo Fantasy and use code PAS. Link is in our bio. It's available in 19 states, and I showed you guys the map so you guys can figure out if it's available in yours. Tua, 466-yard game. Three mm. touchdowns, one interception. A crazy stat from this game is the Dolphins had 16 explosive plays in this game. That is the second most since 2012. The last time it happened was in 2020, the Rams versus the Bills, the Jared Goff-led Rams offense. Now, before I talk about Tua in this game, I really want to just talk about the Chargers, man, because I, I had this tweet that told me what the Chargers spent on their defense, and I just can't believe how I just can't believe how bad it is that still. Is. So, like, Brandon Staley gets hired by the Chargers, defensive head coach. The Chargers right now have the third highest investment on defense in the NFL with it's totaling $142 million per year. Highest paid safety, third and sixth highest paid edge rusher, Joey Bose and Khalil Mack, that were unable to generate pressure against a Tehran Armstead-less Dolphins team. Ninth, paid, ninth highest paid at corner. The Dolphins just lit them up. 36 points. Two of, throw, two of throws for 466 yards. At some point, I mean... I thought Brandon Saley should have been fired after he blew the lead to the Jaguars up 27 to zero and the Jaguars lit them up in the second half and threw four touchdown passes on them. I thought he should have been fired after that. The fact that Brandon Saley still has a job, the fact that they've invested so much into this defense and Tom Telesco is not off the hook either for drafting players that don't have high impact on defense. I mean, the Chargers are totally wasting this window they had with the quarterback on a rookie deal because they've been unable to figure out the defense despite investing so much money to it. They opted not to go out and invest into the receiver position, into the offensive line at a high rate outside of Corey Lindsley. And we know they drafted Rashawn Slater, but the other parts of the offensive line, they haven't really signed dominant impact players. This investment on defense should have paid off by now. And the fact that Brandon Staley, for two years as a head coach, the rush defense has been this abysmal, I mean, something's got to give. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Chargers fire Brandon Staley midseason if this type of defensive performance continues. On to Tua, 
I thought this was Tua's best game of his career. I thought Tua played amazing. He played lights out, and he made the best throw of his career down the sideline to Tyreek Hill on that game-winning drive between two defenders. It feels like Tua's arm strength has improved. It feels like his pocket movement and awareness has improved. Tua just got better in the offseason, and this was by far his best game that I've seen him play because even versus the Ravens, versus the Ravens, it was kind of like three quarters of average play, and the fourth quarter, he just lit up. This game was four quarters of complete elite quarterback level of play, and this was his best career game with the Dolphins. How how scary is this Miami offense, man? I mean, how many teams in the league could legitimately stop this offense for four straight quarters? Maybe three, maybe four. I mean, you got Jalen Waddle didn't have a big, humongous game. You know, it was really just, oh, and by the way, Joel, Tyreek had 211 yards, buddy. 211 yards. Garrett Wilson going to have that. Next good, luck, good luck, Tom, for that's that. Joel, that's the third most yards ever. And I see an opener. Yeah, good luck topping that tomorrow. Um, yeah, game. 211 yards from Tyreek Hill. First of all, Miami's defense is fucking atrocious. I mean, th- that defense is bad. The Chargers' defense is also not good offensively, though. Eckler had a great. Eckler, he had a great day. You know, on the on the ground, he was really good. Herbert picked his spots, got to his Tommy. That last drive, though, uh, his offensive line kind of failed him. But for the most part, you know, this was to his like you said, this was to his best game in his career. You know, on the road against a team who completely shut you down last year. You know, all eyes was on you. You missed the season towards the end of the season last year. Your team got to the playoffs. They didn't have you. You come into the season. You're on the road against a team that locked you up. You throw for 466, if I'm not mistaken. Your counterpart, Tyreek Hill, throws gets 211 receiving yards, two TDs, and you just go down. March down, make some clutch plays down the down the throw. Even that play, a couple plays before that, a third down, he threw a dot to Braxton Berries on the sideline. Like it was, it was just he had an amazing game, and that's something you got to tip your hat off to Tua. This Miami offense is dangerous. We knew that from last season, but we thought they could still make steps up. And now this Miami offense literally might be unstoppable, unstoppable, and that's scary for other teams. I mean, great that they got the W. You don't know, like we said, we talked about Cleveland's defense being this elite, stout defense, but this Miami offense, there's probably not going to be too many teams that can legitimately stop them. And you got to be I, careful. Uh, sorry, John, I was going to say, you got to be careful whenever you talk about the Dolphins and with Tua because Miami fans are very sensitive. I don't know why. They're just very sensitive. <laughs> if you don't constantly say how great Tua is and how perfect and amazing he was, they get all up in arms. So let's start with saying – Tua was phenomenal. He was you amazing. Say, he was you all say, world. Dallas, if you say he improved, they're going to say, he's already been that good. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want, I want to get that out of the way before some Dolphins, there's probably 30 already typing in the comments about what I'm going to say. Tua was amazing. Um, but it, it almost comes to a point that, not that you expect this from Tua, but you know he has this capability. You know he has the capability within this offense to be able to put up 400 yards and multiple touchdowns. You know he has the capability of leading a top offense. He has the capability of being one of the most efficient passers in the NFL. He showed it for a stretch last season. But I'm not going to take this one week and just assume, like, this is what Tua is going to be the whole season. Because if you did that last year, you would have been wrong, right? Week two against the Ravens, he goes out for six touchdowns and over 400 yards, 
And, you know, Drew has his fucking black book and he goes crazy. And then he goes and plays some real life great defenses and he doesn't look that good. So for Tua, not, it almost sounds crazy that you can, on one hand, expect a quarterback at times to go off for 400 yards and look like the most efficient quarterback in the league. And on the other hand, still say, well, I need to see him do this for multiple weeks against top defenses and maybe not the best conditions. Because the fact that the Chargers were not able to get any pressure, like you said, Joel, without Teron Armstead on the other side, on the offensive line, it's a joke. Like, that's not going to happen every game Tua goes up against. He was phenomenal. He was great. He deserves all the credit in the world. But I still want him. I still want to see it week in and week out before I'm going to put them in kind of that Super Bowl bubble, although they, they already had a great roster. Um, the Chargers were a team that I thought could take a leap. You guys know how high I was on the Kellen Moore signing, uh, or hiring, rather. I tweeted this out, uh, I think, at the, end of the, at the end of this game. I was shocked when Brandon Staley kept his job at the end of last season. The fact that the defense didn't improve for two years, and then the cherry on top was blowing that AFC wildcard game to the Jags that you had no business losing. I thought that was the cherry on top to get him fired. They brought him back for another season. They bring in Kellen Moore, and it's almost like, okay, offensively, Joel Lombardi, you're done. Kellen Moore, Staley, we got you. Now, Staley, you figure out this defense. He hasn't been able to do it. The last two years, they've been in the bottom 10, 12 in terms of um, defense or the yards and scoring, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better this year. Now, maybe going up week one against Miami, who could have arguably the best offense in football at the end of the season, maybe that's not the most fair test. But you're going to be in the AFC, and you know who's in your division, and you know who's in your conference. At some point, you need to make it challenging. I'm not asking you to go out there and hold the Dolphins to 21 points or eventually the Chiefs to to under 21 or 24 points. But you need to make key stops in the game, whether that's third down, whether that's in the red zone, whether that's just applying pressure on the quarterback to make him feel uncomfortable. In this game, Tua was able to do really whatever he wanted. He didn't have pressure in his face. He was able to sit back in the pocket on those third downs and make some big time throws. So I was disappointed in this defense. Um, I'm I'm with you, Joel. I don't I don't think Brandon Silly gets fired because I think their record is going to be good enough throughout the year. I don't think they're going to be sitting at two and five seven weeks into the season. But as it stands right now, he hasn't worked out as a defensive minded head coach for the Chargers. And it's been a broken record with this team. Like nothing's going to change on the defense side of the ball and. It kind of feels like, again, malpractice that this team, Tom Telesco, great friends of Brian Dable, he was right there for the taking, and you wasted those three years, and now you're not going to have that amazing head coach option. With Tua, you said you hit it perfectly. Had well said, Dells. I don't think we give enough credit, though, in the red zone with his accuracy, ball placement, and precision. I mean, that throw at the end of the game, he is one of the best operators, and there is feel and his quickness, just reading and reacting, it's truly elite. And that's his one skill that separates him from other quarterbacks who have more physical tools. So I think he needs a shout-out in that regard. You know, when it comes to Tua, he is somebody that I view currently in the lens of, like, one of the better system quarterbacks in the NFL, where I look at Kirk Cousins, and he's, like, the poster child for being the system quarterback in the NFL. That's kind of how I view Tua in a similar light where I think Tua can rattle off multiple seasons like Kirk Cousins with 100-plus passer ratings, and he is a capable quarterback. He has some clear strengths to his game. Targeting in the middle of the field, he's deadly accurate. He has great anticipation. He um, has a really quick release. In this game, what really impressed me the most 
was just those sideline throws because I know when throwing to the middle of the field, he is one of the best quarterbacks. And it's hard to throw to the middle of the field because a lot of great quarterbacks don't target that area because it's muddy. It's usually filled with the most defenders and you have the best chances of getting intercepted when you target that area. Throwing to the sidelines, it requires arm strength that has kind of been in question for Tua for since he's entered the NFL. And in this game, those throws were there. I mean, there was some underthrows in the first half, but in the fourth quarter, when you needed perfect execution, I mean, he delivered balls with, with strikes and with power behind them. So I think that is something that I view it and I've seen improvement in, oh. where now I'm, I'm seeing he's generating a little bit more power on these throws, Ooh. and it has me wondering if that added weight that he put on in the offseason affected the arm strength improvement. He just went crazy in that whole little uh, <laughs> said those balls. You know what's crazy uh, though is that Justin Herbert didn't even have a bad game. Like Dolphins fans on Twitter were like, "Oh, this was such a this was such a lopsided type of game." I'm gonna be honest. Last year, Dolphins versus Chargers was more lopsided than this because you had Herbert who had a great performance and Tua who had one of the worst ones of the season. Herbert. 228 passing yards, one touchdown, 99.1 passer rating. What I do like about the Kellen Moore-led offensive chargers now is that the running game seems to be working. Austin Eckler had 117 yards, 7.3 yards per carry. Joshua Kelly, 91 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. They had three touchdowns on the ground. Two were by running backs in Eckler and Kelly. The one thing I can critique with Kellen Moore is that when they were generating yards off these runs on third down, he would go into these empty looks and ask Justin Herbert to get a first down on like third and one passing the ball. If it's third and one and your rushing offense has been this efficient, you have to keep running the football. So that's the only critique I have on Kellen Moore, but this was a pretty good outing. Now we're not sure how the Dolphins defense is going to look over the course of the season, mm. but we're kind of all expecting them to be good. So this is a pretty good starting point for Kellen Moore and the Chargers. I think with the um, and once again, shout out to Tua. You know he played amazing, great game. Um, I do I do like what Dell said made sense. Like we're gonna see maybe three to four more performances of this because that offense is just so high powered, high flowing. Like they got water, they got hill, they can get explosive at, at any moment. We saw against the Ravens, they lit up in the fourth quarter. You know and that that's an elite defense. So I think. With the Herbert, like the the Herbert and uh, Dolphins beef is like around the league. You've noticed like when Josh Allen, it's like his playoffs, right? With Mahomes, it's his rings. With Burrow, it's like oh, he's went to the AFC Championship. With Herbert, like you haven't, you don't have that one definitive thing that you can kind of tap with Herbert. Like like I mentioned with Allen, it's that he's an elite playoff performer. With Burrow, he's got to the AFC Championship with a bad offensive line. With Mahomes, the rings and all that good shit. I think that's what two like what Miami fans have kind of distinguished with that that the league kind of puts this um, blanket around Herbert to kind of like save him because he doesn't have that definitive tag or he doesn't have that defining moment yet. And I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think maybe he hasn't been put in the situations, and maybe his team isn't that good. I think like the one moment he did have, unfortunately, the team blew a twenty-seven point lead. You know, you hate to see it; it's part of the game. But I do think with Tua. You know, I think this year we just want to see it in the playoffs and we want to see it for a full season first. And then we want to see it in the playoffs. That's all we ask the two. You know, we think 
you know, for me personally, I think he has all the potential in the world. He could be a top 12, top 10 quarterback. You just for a full season's length, we need to see how you adjust. We need to see how you attack different type of schemes. You know, you didn't adjust well when you played tougher uh, teams last year. Now, how do you respond this year? You respond against the Chargers with 466 yards. That's what we want to see. We want to see you attack the mismatch, you know, and identify the weaknesses. And if you could do that for a season, then head to the playoffs. You know, Tua then gets put on a different type of pedestal. Like, even now, you said system quarterback. I'm sure Dolphins fans are going to get fucking pissed at you. They hate it. Yeah, they're going to get extremely mad that you called them a system quarterback. But it's just understanding the game. Even Kirk. Kirk had a good game. He had some numbers today. Kirk had some numbers, man. So. You know what's the thing about Justin Herbert is that when it comes to the poster child for the perfect what-if player in the NFL, like when you, when you think about the poster child for what-if player in the NFL, it's Justin Herbert. What if Justin Herbert had better receivers? What if he had more speed at receivers? What if his offensive line wasn't injured? Yeah. What if he had a good head coach? What if his defense was good and can stop other teams from scoring? But the thing about Justin Herbert, and this is where I think separates some people's perception and the reality of him, is that people that watch Justin Herbert know that he's capable of being mentioned and having the accolades of those top-end quarterbacks. He just really hasn't been in that position to do so. But with that being said, we have seen moments with Herbert in them where he can capitalize on the moment. In this Dolphins game, fourth quarter you have the final possession you can go down and score and win the game with the field goal they get stopped in the playoffs being up 27 to 0 against the Jaguars their offense was a big reason why they didn't win that game the defense got torched in the second half but they got the lead because of the defense not because of Justin Herbert but then you also have those moments like in 2022 versus the Raiders at the end of that season where Herbert is converting multiple fourth and long plays. So you have kind of the yin and yang effect with Justin Herbert where like you see those flashes of great and people that look at that are banking on him having that picture perfect situation one day, but ultimately he hasn't had that. So everything surrounding him is kind of this what if scenario. He sadly ain't luck to a point out, man. He says who? Andrew Luck went to went to an AFC championship. That's Andrew, fair. Andrew Luck was a dog. Respect Andrew Luck, man. I'm not disrespecting him. I think Justin Herbert's at that similar skill level. And since Andrew Luck in 2019, point lead. Okay, fair yeah. enough. He did have three straight 11 win seasons. But I'm talking about the players, not the the teams. Yeah, that's true. The play game, man. What could have been? <laughs> Bears and Packers. Uh, we really had to talk about this. <sighs> Jordan Love three touchdown game. 245 yards. He completed 55% of his passes, neither here or there. I think that's an area of improvement for Jordan Love. His accuracy on these deep passes were all over the place. And if he was accurate on those, we're talking about a 300-yard day from Jordan Love in his second career start. 300 yards, three touchdowns, what could have been, I'm praying on it. But guess what? Justin Fields in his career has zero games of three passing touchdowns. Jordan Love, in his second career start, has a game of three passing touchdowns. I was thinking about this, though. We don't talk about the 2020 quarterback draft class enough. Number one pick, Joe Burrow. He's a top three quarterback in the league. Then you have Tua. Tua has great numbers, and I think the Dolphins are comfortable with him at quarterback right now. Then you have Tua, who... 
is putting up great numbers. Justin Herbert, great quarterback. Jalen Hurts just went to a Super Bowl, had one of the better Super Bowl performances that we've seen. And here comes the forgotten guy. There we go. Jordan Love, the guy that we waited so long for to, to see. And some the first game of the Jordan Love era in Green Bay, three touchdowns, Dallas. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, this is what going to go down as one of the better quarterback draft class in the history of the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's pretty solidified. I feel like we talk about that draft class kind of a lot. We talk about Burr all the time and, and all those guys. Um, Jordan Love, it was the, like the end of stats or end of game stats, I think were a little bit better than maybe what he played. Uh, for the most part, I thought he had an up and down game. Um, I thought there were moments where he showed off his athleticism. Um, he showed off his arm strength, that throw to, to Musgrave, who was wide open, but off his back foot, kind of just being able to flick your wrist and get that ball over there was very impressive. Um, the touchdown to Romeo Dobbs, where he scanned the field, he's kind of patting the ball, ends up finding him. Dobbs makes a, a nice um, kind of fakes out, goes back in. So there were plays throughout the game that Jordan Love, you saw that, wow, like this is the reason why they trade up. This is the reason why they waited so many years to start him. Um, but like you mentioned, there were also plays where, you know, he was missing guys um, that he should have been hitting or wasn't the, wasn't reading the field uh, quite well enough. Overall, though, I mean, it's his first start. Um, as the guy. It's his first start being the, the quote-unquote franchise quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, going up against a defense that we thought improved, but probably still isn't going to be a top 15 unit. Like, if the Bears are a top 20 defense, I think a lot of people take that as a W. So I'm not taking a ton away. I think it's very important that I didn't go out there and just completely stink it up and lose confidence. On top of that, he's now he's without Christian Watson. Dobbs was injured coming into this game. And we got to hope that Aaron Jones stays healthy because he's the, the best weapon on this team. He had a hamstring injury. Didn't seem too serious, but uh, there's a chance he could, you know, of course, miss a game or two. Um, Justin Fields, the first half and second half, really that fourth quarter, kind of like all different games. Like that first quarter, he was very sharp. He started the game five for five, six for six. Um, you know, he had a couple of nice runs. He broke a couple of sacks doing Justin Fields type shit. But once – the seal broke, it kind of like all spurted out, right? Like once they got a little crack in there, the Packers had some life and they went up by a touchdown, then two touchdowns. Then it felt like Justin Fields started to press. That's when you saw him throw the interception. Um, so I think Fields, we didn't see a ton of progression, at least in this game as a passer. I thought his throwing motion was cleaner than it was last year. The throw to Darnell Mooney was probably his most impressive pass, even though it was pretty open. I, I could be uh, forgetting there might be some uh, another pass that's more impressive. Um, but overall, I didn't see a ton from this game that I'm taking away saying Justin Fields has taken that leap. Um, but you still saw the special ability to be able to break tackles, get out of sacks, and do some special things with his legs. I think going forward, he just he can't press as much once the team goes down because they were still in this game in the second half. But once he felt like the pressure was on him and the defense on top of that knew he had to throw the, throw the ball, that's when things kind of got ugly for the Bears. And although the, the final score I don't think was really representative of how close the game was, it ended up being kind of a blow-up because that second half, um, Justin Fields just wasn't quite as sharp. Man. That game was not close, Dells. No, nah, I know what he's saying, though. It got, it got bad. Like, it was good. It was right. ball pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I, yeah, all of a sudden, I'm looking at the score. I'm like, how did he get to 24-6? It, it, I, I it was just 13-6. Um, I, I watched from first quarter to third. Once the fourth started, I was like, this shit is over. I'm not watching this shit no more. Because it just, like, at one point, it just got really, really bad. Um, yeah, man, the play call. Well, first, let me start with Green Bay. Because I think um, Jordan Love had a good performance. But I think, you know, 
more credit needs to be given to Aaron Jones, Reed, Dobbs, Luke. Like, those guys came to play. You know, no Christian Watson. Aaron Jones, they kind of got away from him a little bit in the second quarter, but got back to him in, uh, in the second half. But um, Aaron Jones was phenomenal, you know, in the pass catching as a runner. Then you had Luke. You had Luke. He made some big time plays on third down when you need him. Dobbs in the red zone was solid. You know, Reed was big in the yak department. Like this offense outside of Jordan Love, the weapons, they didn't have Watson, but it looked like they didn't really need him. You know, they came to play for sure. They stepped up when needed. And that's what you need from a, a essentially a rookie quarterback. You know, he has a couple starts, but he's still young in this shit. He probably doesn't even have 10 games. Probably doesn't even have seven to eight games started in his NFL career. So that's definitely what you needed. D- defensively, you know, they're the same Green Bay Packers. You don't take away from too much with the Chicago Bears. But, you know, Jordan Love played a good game. He was poised in the pocket. He made some good throws. A couple things to work on. But he'll get those are just things he'll get better on towards the season with a little bit of rust off him, a little bit more comfortability in the pocket. This Chicago Bears team, man, uh, I was uh, – you know, I was watching. I was excited for a little bit because that was mentioned that he was sharp in the first half. He was like 12 for 16. You know, he wasn't doing nothing too crazy. But I feel like the play calling just wasn't creative enough. It wasn't give him any opportunities. It was kind of repetitive, you know, screen, screen, run, run. It wasn't really giving – he didn't have any opportunity to really show you he improved until they were down big, then it's like, all right, I got to kind of throw the ball here. Like he had a, he had a, a really good play out the play action where he was running to the right hit Darnell Mooney on the sideline. I thought that was a good play. I thought they should run that a little bit more play actions, but they never really gave him, they ran a bubble screen on the third and like 17. And I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, it was kind of weird. You know, I feel like the play, like the coach still doesn't fully trust fields as a thrower, but if you don't know what he is as a thrower, you know, I think this is the time to kind of figure that out. So, like, I feel like the play calling wasn't there. Offensively, DJ Moore never really got an opportunity. Like, he had two big plays back-to-back, the drive. They had one drive, a really good drive. Then he kind of never saw it again. Darnell Mooney had a couple plays. But overall, this offense just – it lacks any creativity. You know, it's you know they're going to run the ball. You know always they're going to run the ball with Herbert or Rashawn Johnson or Foreman or Justin Fields. You, you know they're going to run the ball, so the, the the repetitiveness is there. But I feel like you have to be more creative. You have to figure out who Fields is. You have to let him work. You have to let him make mistakes. And you don't do that when he's down big. You know, you don't do that towards the end of the game. I thought he, was, he wasn't good, but I didn't think he was extremely bad like the numbers said. I feel bad for Bear, Bear fans in this one. Last year, they put the kid gloves on Justin Fields, especially early in the year, and he let his legs really take over games. And oftentimes, that was to help them in their offense just get over the top. So this offseason, you add in DJ Moore, and he had two, three targets in this game. And I'm thinking to myself, just like you guys, with Luke Getze, well, last year, he's able to simplify the offense for Justin Fields, somewhat helping him as a rusher kind of take off. There is a clear ceiling here with this Bears offense because of the lack of creativity. They go 3-13 on a third down. The Packers go 9-16. And you see the clear difference between LaFleur and then Getze. And it's kind of sad because Justin Fields is in year three. And Jordan Love's in his second NFL start. And it feels like right now Love's already further along as a passer. They've got similar supporting casts. Love has much better protection as well. We talk about that Packers offensive line, all things considered. It's kind of like this was supposed to be a step forward this year for the Bears, but in reality, the Packers are still going to remain ahead of them. And it's just, to me, all depends on Justin Fields taking that step forward as a passer. And if we don't see that this year, man, it, it changes the entire outlook of this franchise and everything Bear fans are hoping to look for in 2023. So 
there's really no positives in this game from the outside of Roshan Johnson, who looked really sharp. And I, I do think that's a guy who can make a difference in this offense as the year goes on. I, I think it's fair to criticize the play calling and to criticize the lack of creativity. But third and long bubble screen, I think that is a coaching staff's indictment on Justin Fields. And the game is kind of close. Third and long, we don't want him to throw an interception because we don't feel confident that he can make this type of throw past the sticks. So to me, it's kind of an indictment on him as a passer. And Justin Fields, we know that he's a he's an elite rusher of the football, but the passing was always a concern for me. I mean, you look at his off-target rate, his I mean, his on-target per- percentage, his accuracy, those were all things that were alarming. And it doesn't take you having a plethora of elite receivers to know if you can be an accurate quarterback and pass with timing. Even with the receivers that he had, it was clear that the accuracy just wasn't where it needed to be. But all in all, I do feel bad for Justin Fields. I actually feel bad for Justin Fields because his first year was wasted with Matt Nagy. The Bears hired defensive minded head coach and Matt Eberflus, and he looks like to be a joke of a coach and somebody who can't develop a quarterback. Justin Fields is in year three. Next year, the Bears have to make a decision on whether or not they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. Right now, Justin Fields has shown nothing to warrant a, a second contract. He's done nothing to warrant a second contract. This upcoming draft class, the Bears are going to have their first-round pick, which is going to be a top pick, and the Panthers' first-round pick, which should be a top pick. You look at the quarterbacks, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Quinn Ewers out of Texas, Shadur Sanders is rising up the draft boards. I mean, what is stopping the Bears from resetting and moving on from Justin Fields? The most valuable thing in the NFL is a rookie quarterback contract. The most logical thing to do if Fields doesn't blow us away and become a bona fide superstar quarterback would be to start over and reset with a new quarterback. I think if that happens, there's still there's still a market for Justin Fields. Um, I remember talking about this last season. I said, I know the Bears are going to be bad. It may or may not be Justin Fields' fault, but they're going to be put in a situation where they have to make a decision. Now, I didn't think they were going to end up having the number one draft pick, and it kind of turned out to not be the most overwhelming draft class in terms of quarterbacks. Even though if you win in the top, uh, you know, first round, top 10, there wasn't a Trevor Williams or excuse me, Trevor Lawrence or Caleb Williams like this upcoming class where it's a no doubter. You just trade Justin Fields and take the better prospect. Um, I I don't want to just jump off the field train too soon. Right. Like I still think that I still think that it's uh, a positive that this time last year, they didn't want him throwing the ball more than like 17 times a game. And now, even though he was in a loss, they're letting him throw the ball 30-plus times a game. And for a year three quarterback, maybe it's a minor win. Maybe it's something that doesn't even matter. But still from last year to the beginning of the season to where we are today, it's still a pretty, a pretty huge growth that we've seen from Justin Fields. And it just might take a few weeks, right? You still have DJ Moore coming and getting accustomed. Um, it seems like a running back by committee in the backfield. Khalil got some work. Uh, Deontay Foreman, Roshan Johnson, all kind of were in and out of the lineup. So this was a game that it felt like more of the pressure was on the Bears because you make that big acquisition to get DJ Moore. You trade that number one pick saying Fields is our guy. Um, you're, you're at home, so you, of course your fans are there. So it felt like the pressure was on the Bears. So when you go out and let up 38 points and the second half kind of crumbles beneath your feet, it's kind of easy to jump off when you have that, that you know, bad taste in your mouth. 
But I'm still high on Fields. I'm not ready to just throw him off the cliff just because of this one game against Green Bay. One thing about Jordan Love that I want to mention before we go is he's smart. He's a smart quarterback. Although Matt LaFleur's play calling was excellent. And Aaron Jones had a lot of time. Aaron Jones did do the bulk of the work because he had a huge screenplay and the rushing was there. He had a nice Texas route though where Love's put it in nice. That was that was amazing. Thanks for mentioning that because I was gonna miss that. Um Jordan Love is somebody that is taking calculated risks. And he's somebody that's you can tell can play within the constructs of an offense. For me, I'm not worried about Jordan Love being a good system quarterback. Like I think Jordan Love already, like his floor is a good starting quarterback. For me, it's whether or not he's gonna put the other things together out of structure play, deep ball accuracy. And if he can hit that consistently, because it's clearly not an arm strength issue. He has plenty of arm strength, but those deep passes are just very inaccurate right now. So for me, in order for him to take that next level, it's really that. But in terms of all the basics, the footwork, the timing, the rhythm in the pocket, I think Jordan Love is already far beyond other young quarterbacks in that aspect. And Jordan Love, like I said, he takes calculated risks. He's not somebody that's trying to air it out and being aggressive and and throwing the ball into harm's way. He's a calculated player, and I think that's what gives the Packers a very safe floor as a team. I love it. I agree. Now, on to Anthony Richardson, Dells. You want to talk about Anthony Richardson and the Jaguars. So what did you see from Anthony Richardson in his rookie debut and Calvin Ridley in his debut with the Jags? Anthony Richardson, listen, there was a lot of talk this draft cycle about his completion percentage at Florida, like I give a fuck. Anthony Richardson, <laughs> there's a reason why he got hype as a potential number one overall pick. That wasn't just fluff from the media. That wasn't just something to get some content out there. Anthony Richardson was a really good prospect coming out of college. And he showed game one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, I, it was a point this game at halftime where I'm sitting there, I'm saying, can can Anthony Richardson beat the Jags? Like his first game start in the NFL, can he go toe-to-toe with Trevor Lawrence to win that game? Of course, second half kind of came around, really that fourth quarter where the Jags put up uh, two touchdowns, 14-0 um, in the fourth, kind of shut them out. But Anthony Richardson, I think for his first career start in the NFL, couldn't have gone better. You have over 200 passing yards. You have 40 rushing yards. He had a couple of touchdowns. Um, he had a really nice throw to Josh Downs, kind of off his back foot over the middle of the field. A nice throw to Ogletree, the tight end over the middle of the field. Michael Pittman had a big play. You saw the velocity, the arm strength, the arm talent. You saw how big he was. There, There's a screenshot out there. I think it's fourth and five at the goal line, or they're on like the 10-yard line. There are two men in front of Anthony Richardson. He runs them over and gets the first down. Like there is a very, very small amount of quarterbacks. There's like two or three in the league that can do that. Of course, there's some things that still have to improve on. 10-plus yard passes, he was 3-for-10 with interception. Um, I just saw his heat map, actually, and like 80 70%, 80% of his throws were all to the right side of the field. I'm sure defense is going to look in on that, keen in on that, and make it more difficult for him. But in terms of a first start in the NFL, to be somewhat competitive against a team in Jacksonville that people are projecting to potentially be the best team in the AFC, to be leaps and bounds the best team in this division, I thought overall Anthony Richardson had a great day. Talk about Calvin Ridley briefly. 
We heard the hype in OTAs. We heard the hype in training camp, preseason. He's been the best player at Jags training camp, um, you know, throughout the throughout this whole process. But, of course, you want to see it on the field. And we saw it on the field right away. Right away, Eight catches, 100 yards, get a touchdown. There was a drive. He went back-to-back plays, big chunk plays. I mean, he basically picked up where he left off when his last time in Atlanta. There was some speculation because he had – you know, he had his really elite year with Julio. Julio leaves. He plays for a handful of games as the wide receiver one, and he wasn't that great. And people were kind of speculating, can he be a true number one or is he more of a product of having number one beside him? But this game, he showed he's the number one. He commanded the most targets. He had the most receptions, most yards. Zay Jones put up 55 yards. Christian Kirk was – I was saying this 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 kind of, uh, you know, offseason that in preseason we saw Christian Kirk work as the number three receiver in this offense. And that's kind of what he was this game. One catch for nine yards. Zay Jones was the wide receiver too. But overall, the Trevor Lawrence, the Calvin Ridley connection, looks like it could be top five in the league this season. Calvin special. And we forget, we forget, he was replacing Julio because he missed 11 games back in 2020 it was. Yeah, that's true. Calvin Ridley posted nearly 1,400 yards. And so with how good of a play caller Doug Peterson is and the complimentary weapons, as you just pointed out, the offensive line is going to get better with the amount of depth they add in. So it's really just a matter of time for these two guys. And I, I'm with you all the way. Calvin Ridley and Garrett Wilson are two of those wide receivers. Garrett Wilson. This year, they're going to level up a better quarterback play. Let me ask uh, Nels and uh, John, let's play a little game here. Uh, you said um, Ridley and T-Law, top five? Who, who are they kicking out? Potential. So who are they kicking uh, out? So you got Mahomes and Kelsey. Got, Josh uh, Allen and Diggs. Yeah, yeah. Chase and um, Burrow. Chase and Burrow. AJ Brown and Jaylen. AJ and Hurts, two, two in. Okay. Top, top ten, ten easy. Okay. They could kick out AJ and Hurts. What the fuck? We, like we just seen, we just seen what Hurts did versus the Patriots with AJ. Yeah, a, a bad oh, game is AJ bro. Brown putting up eighty yards. That was a bad bro. game. Stop, jo- Joel. He played the Colts, bro. Relax, relax, bro. Relax. Don't do that. Kick out AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts is crazy. You know, Anthony Richardson. I thought had the best rookie quarterback debut. It's tough though because CJ Stroud he was a horrible went up against the Ravens and that's a very tough defense. Roquan Smith dominated that game and CJ Stroud had a, had a solid game. And then Bryce Young, although the Falcons defense we don't think they're going to be world beaters, going up against a safety like Jesse Bates is tough because in college those safeties are way way back. And then in the NFL, you have a guy like Jesse Bates who he's lurking and waiting and reading the quarterback's eyes, and he capitalized on two Bryce Young mistakes. And that's a learning lesson for Bryce Young that, listen, these safeties are playing up more in the NFL. You can't be too trigger happy. You got to look them off. But ultimately, I thought all rookie quarterbacks played solid. But Anthony Richardson, I said it before the draft, he's my quarterback one. I had him one, CJ two, Bryce three. I'm betting on the traits with Anthony Richardson. I don't think he's just this project quarterback. Like, I think he has a refined skill set, and the biggest one being just his pocket presence, which is really impressive to me already. And that's a skill you either have it or you don't, pocket presence. It's like a kind of a natural point guard trait, so to speak. And I'm with you guys. He has the highest ceiling in this draft class, but it's the fact he has Shane Steichen just copy and pasting what was so great for Jalen Hurts last year. You kind of hope Jonathan Taylor in the picture, of course, because that would only take this rushing attack to a new dimension with their offensive line. 
taken a step back last couple of years, but with the coaching in place and the patience that Indianapolis is going to have, he's going to be the best quarterback, I think, from this draft class in 2023. I'm still riding with Twinsky, man. CJ was good, <laughs> man. I don't, I don't know what y'all talking about. Yo, and yo, JC Horn, he, he got hurt again, man. Damn. He might be off for some that. time, bro. Looking at these super chats, novel thoughts goes the Drew curse is real. Yo, Sam Drew Howell almost lost to the Cardinals. Sam Howell yeah, is not very good. Minutes, yeah, it didn't look it didn't look terrible. He did get popped. He got popped. He, 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 he still you won saw my boy Desmond Ritter though. He had, he he had so a, mid. yo, he was <laughs> four so for mid. four for zero Brother, yards at one point of the game. Can we talk about the yeah. Falcons using three top ten picks on skill position players and giving them a combined cheese? Yeah. I don't know, seventeen touches in this game. What is up with that? Fifteen touches. Great, and, and he, John, John, you know the worst part about this is they won big. So Arthur Smith's gonna do the same shit again. <laughs> He's gonna do the same shit again. All it's Drake like Linden, football thing. Yeah. All Drake Linden, Kyle Pitts, and Bijan owners are kicking the wall right now. Bijan owners are thrilled, but you gotta be upset no. when Tyler Algier gets oh two no. goal Yo, line Dallas, carries. Yeah, remember when you carries? That was remember when you laughed at me one episode when I brought up Tyler, man. Don't no. well, you drafted him. You drafted I did. Don't him forget, bro. No, 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 was like, <laughs> we knew. We should have known Algier was going to get a split of it with how great he was. But, but no, I didn't think he was getting 15 fucking carries. I thought he'd get fair. like five to eight a game, you know, maybe sure. 10. What drives me craziest is Drake London getting one target. He is yeah. way too good of a threat down the field of his ability to box out guys. Oh, and I that know, is Joel. what they need on this offense. And, Joel, I know you saw Desmond Ritter is going to get the yardage, but he threw a prayer up in double coverage to Kyle Pitts. He had a throw defender up, readjust, grab that ball. I'm like, can we get this man involved, please? Yeah. Uh, now, listen, all I'm counting on Desmond Ritter being is not as bad as Marcus Mariota, which I think he can be. Low bar. DeAndre He's Swift even sucks, less guys. aggressive. That's, that's the craziest thing. Yeah. DeAndre Swift is not good. I am kicking. I am kicking. We'll, we'll talk about more on the fantasy reaction. Yeah, you do that because uh, Kenneth Gainwell is better. NG goes if the Jets lose tomorrow, who y'all got next week? Who do they play next week? The Cowboys. Jets. And Cowboys. Oh shit! Y'all play the Cowboys. Ooh, don't go always too, has baby. Been, always will be the Jets. Don't go <laughs> into man. Uh, the Cowboys are scary, man. Yeah, They're that's, scary. That's a, Football CF candy. Organization has blood on their hands. Not addressing run defense, pass rush at all was baffling. DJ Moore had two targets. Love inaccurate, missed open plays. Blood on their hands is crazy. <laughs> That's just hilarious. Pimp names stick defensively. All offseason, people were overhyping the Giants. Their QB is mid. Their offensive line is worse than the NFL, and their wide receivers and corners stink. They're overrated. I think well, we all had them ranked in like the 2018 range. All of us. Yeah, I want to say I had them. 17 or 18. Yeah, Adam, something um, like that. I, I think the offensive line wise, we are all super high on Andrew Thomas. And if you have an amazing left tackle, you could kind of get away with some things, especially if you have one guy break out. They had a rookie, uh, Evan Neal, going to year two. The receivers, though, I'm on board. I remember last episode or maybe two episodes ago, I was I was telling Drew, I was like, this time next year, we could still be saying that look at the Giants' offensive weapons they had last year. I am not moved by Darius Slayton and Shepard and Wandell Robinson and Jalen Hyatt. And, like, I love the the Darren Waller addition, but you still need at least two other real guys along with Waller because of his injury history. And he even mentioned after the game today that the hamstring that popped up uh, this week was the same hamstring injury he was dealing with last season. 
he said with his own words, it is concerning. It is worrying. So it's not great to see that week one of the season. Hyatt was dropping the ball, too, today. He did have a bad drop. over the middle. NG says, what happened to destroying the Patriots? W's a W. What happened to destroying the Browns? Listen, man, we can't all have W. (laughs) He's not asking me. He's asking you. Listen, man, we won. We got the W. Did I underestimate the Patriots? For sure, man. Did we they could have won win? that game 100 percent easily. Yeah, the Zeke fumble offensive line. Clicky keys go PS2 is the best cornerback in the league. Five targets, two catches, 11 yards, and three pass deflections for Devontae he was, Adams. He's he top, he's top yeah. two for sure. He's top two for sure. He um, might be one. He, he was locking the fuck up. He yeah, was locking he up. Might, yo, locking, locking up Tay up. is not like not many people in the world could say they locked up Tay. So it's like, okay. I don't know. Clicky Keys goes that Garrett Wilson and Hill take didn't age well. It's week one, brother. <laughs> Wilson hasn't even played one, yet. Come on, give him a chance. Garrett Wilson's about to have 300 tomorrow. Mm, Garrett, baby. That yeah. crazy. And I saw that tweet, Riv, about Chris Olave versus Garrett Wilson. Watch your mouth, man. I gotta get I gotta Olave's get this, nice. I gotta get this money up for Twitter. So I had to drop that tweet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had to get them likes in. Steph trades goes, it's time to give Jordan Love his flowers. Week one performance. It was up and down. For me, it was up and down. He has some nice plays. He has some plays he wants to get back. But for week one, got to be happy. Pick a side meme goes, Raiders, respect y'all for going live. In the river, I'm picking Dell's jersey because you're on some bullshit. (laughs) Damn, what are you doing, bro? I I told them the jerseys I wanted, but they didn't have them, I think. They didn't have a few of them. I forgot which one they didn't have. Oh, well. I actually told Santos to get you a jersey, Dells. A good jersey or a bad jersey? No, nah, it's a good jersey. It's a good one. Okay. Vaports. Vaports. Herb doesn't have that fear factor of clutch drives the other guys do. Also, chances Jets start 0-5. No chance. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> You upgrade at your worst position. Now, this is funny because, you know, Herbert has, like, the most – well, he's, like, like top five in current fourth quarter comebacks and stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like Tatum doesn't have that killer. Yeah, yeah. NG goes, Dells, how you feel about Dobbins? Heartbroken, man. Absolutely heartbroken. Two this years like ago – ACL injury? Yeah. Last year, Trey Lance was the guy I was hyping up for fantasy. In real life, too, but fantasy, I was like, he's going to break fantasy. The rushing yard is going to be crazy. Breaks his fucking ankle week two. This year, I'm hyping up Dobbins. He's going to have the workload. He's healthy. Fucking tears his Achilles. Like, I mean, me aside, because who the fuck cares about me? It's terrible because you tear your ACL. You come back from it. You're healthy. He sits out kind of like a week because he wants his money. He knows that, like, he got Like, this is the time to get paid. And then week one, he goes and tears his Achilles. And if you know anything about Achilles Achilles tears, especially for running backs, it's really like a two-year window until you're really back to your normal self. At that point, J.K. is going to be, what, 26 years old, maybe 27. He's around that yeah. age, 24, 25 right now. At that point, it's like there, there's not going to be many teams out there looking to give you a lot of guaranteed money. So feel terrible for Dobbins, but maybe he could break the mold and come back next year 100%. What happened to J.K. Dobbins is unfortunate, and it just reminds me of Rashad Penny and the injury bug Rashad Penny has had. Rashad Penny, when healthy, is great. So is J.K. Dobbins. Hey, Rashad Penny was a healthy scratch today. Yeah. Why was that? That made no sense to me. 
They were they start Gainwell, Scott, and Swift, I'm assuming, right? George Kittle randomly just jumped in the game. He was a healthy end today. George Kittle. George Kittle. Yeah. One made a difference. They slapped my Steelers around Sunday. <laughs> yeah, ass. Watch it. We're not ass. We just had a bad day. It snowballed. Football. Next week we're 0 and 1. Doesn't matter. If lost by seven. No, you're 0 and 2 after next week. Matt Cannon needs to get a shit together. Next week? The Browns, buddy. Browns. Mm, there there we go. Oh, is that, that Sunday? That. Is that a prime time game? I, I doubt it. Putting Deshaun on prime time is fake crazy. I'll be honest with you. Currently, we have 486 viewers in the live stream. Shout out to everybody in the live stream. Currently, you guys stayed up late to watch this. 450 plus people, 486 to be exact. Make sure you guys like this stream up every single Sunday after Sunday Night Football. We will be going live next time, hopefully, with Drew. And just to let the comments calm down a bit. I don't think Drew was ducking. I think Drew probably just fell asleep or had something else happen. But he's usually always here, so just gotta say that. But tomorrow, Fantasy Reaction Show, Dells and Drew gonna do their thing. I'm gonna drop something reacting to the Bills and Jets game. Thursday, Fantasy Reaction Show, same thing. And maybe we gonna debut a little Saturday college football kind of show. I mean, mm. college football is kind of going crazy. And of course, we got if the podcast Colorado, Tuesday and Friday. If it's not Colorado, it's nothing. A lot of content. You guys watch. Texas is Every special. single day, you guys are getting new content. Every single day of the week, there's some new content out there on Pick a Side. So subscribe and follow along. So looking at these quick super chats real quick. Thoughts on Bama versus Texas. We'll talk about that on the podcast on Tuesday. Falcons Super Bowl. We know that ain't happening. <laughs> and Ravens or Dolphins. We will answer those questions on next pod. But for me, just very quickly, I'll go. Ravens right now. Ravens, of course. Yeah, I'm going Ravens Even right now. Never doubt. Thank you guys for watching. Make sure to join Mojo Fantasy. Link is in the bio. 473. Like the stream. We'll see you guys next time. This is Trevor Lane from the LakersNation.com podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they're raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash blue wire.